Today's message is titled, From Tax Collector to Apostle. As we prepare to go into the book of Matthew, we um, have concluded with Zechariah, with Malachi, and it's the final prophet of the Old Testament there as uh, we enter in. Now, there's 400 years of silence between that final prophet and the next prophet to come, that prophet being John the Baptist. And during those years of silence, many people uh, think that God wasn't paying attention, especially the Jews back then. They believed that during that time period, God was quiet because he didn't have anything to say to the people, he wasn't listening to them, and he was kind of ignoring them at that point. But just because God was silent doesn't mean he wasn't paying attention to everything that was going on with his people. He was paying attention then, and he's paying attention now. He's still aware of everything that takes place on the earth, and um, he knows our hearts, he knows our struggles, he knows our fears, and he knows our joys, and I, I hope that our joy is found in him, even during the struggles and the trials and the rough times. Our joy can always be found in him. But the people seem to be losing their interest in God back then. As um, Malachi's gone, there's no more prophecy. See, the prophets would be the voice of God to the people. It wasn't the priests that were the voice of God. It was the prophets. The priests were just performing the traditional ceremonies that were dictated by God in the Levitical law. And so what the priests were doing were following ceremony, were performing the procedures and the process. But the voice of God came through the prophets. And so whether the prophet was speaking to the priest or whether the prophet was speaking to the people, it was the voice of God that was speaking to them. And quite often, uh, we think of the priesthood as being the voice of God. They were not. Uh, they were mainly going through the motions of what was supposed to be done ceremonially, traditionally. They were also supposed to bring the law they were supposed to be the ones that were bringing the law to the people. And when the people needed to know what God wanted to do, they would bring the law. They would say, well, this is what the word of God says. Uh, they, they had different ways of going about that. But when God wanted to speak to the people, it was through these prophets. And, and Malachi had some harsh words for the Jewish people because they weren't listening. Uh, they were doing what they wanted to do. They were really apostate in the way that they were performing the ceremonies that they were supposed to be doing. Their gifts that they were giving to God were, were putrid, were, were just pathetic. And uh, the priests were suffering because of it. The people were suffering because of it. So now, at this point, now there's no prophet speaking, and so the people started losing their interest in God. I'm, I'm sure it wasn't a rush to abandon God. 
I'm sure they didn't say, that's it, we don't want to hear anymore. Malachi's dead, it's all over, we don't want to hear anymore. I'm sure it was a slow creeping. I'm sure they were looking for the next prophet. They were looking to see who is going to be the next voice of God. Who is going to speak to us and tell us what God is thinking? You know, it's funny because we want to hear the voice of God, but we only want to hear it when it says something good to us. You know, we don't want to hear when God has something to say like, stop that. You know, we don't want to hear that. We want to hear, oh, well done, good and faithful servant. We are going to hear that in the future, but we're probably not going to hear that right now because we're still living here in the flesh, in this world, and we're still impacted by the things of the world. So these, these um, Jewish believers in God, not Jesus, but God, uh, they were um, still having trouble um, you know, I, identifying what does God want me to do? How does God want me to live? And then when Malachi came along and said, well, you're not doing anything the way you're supposed to be doing it, now they're like, is there anyone else that has uh, you know, a voice of God? You know, does anyone else have another opinion? So after the first generation, after Malachi passed on, you're getting to the second generation, the next generation of people. Well, you know what happens when all of a sudden there's no voice of God, there's no one speaking, there's no one representing, and a generation passes. This next generation doesn't hear what the first generation heard. They don't hear the voice of Malachi. They don't hear from the priests what they need to be doing they are now just going through the motions. They're going through traditionalism and, and they're uh, living the way that they're supposed to live traditionally. And, and we see that in our own society. In the 1950s, life was much different than it is today uh, because of technology, because of advances, so on and so forth, yes. But socially, life has changed and the way we traditionally honor God, respect God, and follow God has also changed. But why? God hasn't changed. And, and there are people that are caught up in religiosity and they're still stuck in traditionalism of being part of a religious organization and, and they're still going through the motions but they're also being impacted by the world and the world's having more of an impact on them than God is through the traditional churches. And so really, we're seeing that there's a remnant now of those who want to follow the Lord through the word of God. They want to hear from God. I was having a discussion with someone last week after the service, and we were talking about prophets and who the prophets are today. And the, the discussion was about people that claim to be prophets that are out there in the world, that claim to be prophets and bringing the word of God. And I explained, I don't believe that God is still using individual prophets to bring the word of God to people. Why? Because we have the word of God. 
Here it is. Everyone has access to the Word of God. You see, in the Old Testament, prophecy ended because they weren't listening anyway. And prophecy ended, and God was going to make a change in how he was going to speak to the people. And so how did he change this? Through his son, Jesus Christ. He brought his son to the earth. He said, here, I'm going to send my son to set the example, and then my son is going to teach you how to have a relationship with the Lord. Remember the last thing that happened when Jesus was on the cross as he died and he gave up his spirit. The curtain was torn in the temple from top to bottom. The curtain that separated everyone from the Holy of Holies. That curtain wasn't just like one of those sheer veils that you wear over your face. And, and, and it wasn't that. This thing was four inches thick. And when they would wash it, it would take a hundred men to bring it to the river to wash the curtain. That's how thick, that's how heavy this thing was. And it was torn, not bottom to top, but from top to bottom, as if the hands of God himself tore it open to open up access to the throne room of God. And so now we are no longer under this, um, the, this structure, this architecture, uh, uh, an organizational chart. God, the prophets, the priests, and then us. We're not under that anymore. Now we have direct access to the throne of God. We can come boldly to the throne of grace individually, one-on-one. -on -one. Because the Holy Spirit dwells within us, we have access to the information we need directly. It's no longer having to hear from a prophet. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't still use people to speak information to us, like a word of knowledge that is still given. Sometimes God will use a person to speak to another person. He has used me to go to someone and say, I believe God wants to do this for you too, you know, in your life. And they're like, wow, that's just confirmation because I believe that I was, you know, going to be doing that and I didn't know if it was right or wrong. And now that you just confirmed what I said, that word knowledge. Okay, and, and so I believe that that's still out there. I believe it's abused in the church, just like prophecy is abused in the church when prophets address the body as if there was something new God wants to say to the, you know, when I hear God speak, it's not in this voice, go tell the people, and, you know, I, I don't hear that. Do you hear that? I, I don't. <clears throat> now, maybe you do, and I don't know. If you do, I have a good doctor. No, I'm just kidding. I, but I believe that when God speaks, it's the still, small voice that speaks to us within our hearts. I believe that his voice speaks to us when we're quiet and listening. Quite often, we're the ones doing the talking. Even in prayer... We can be the ones doing all the talking with God doing all the listening, but sometimes it's important for us to be the listeners and let God do the talking, and he will. He'll speak to our hearts. So here was this generation 
that was now the second generation. They kind of forgot the traditions of the previous generation. <clears throat> but things were actually going pretty good for them at this point. The Ptolemies have now taken over in Egypt because this is after um, uh, Alexander the Great. Okay, and, and there was a big rustle for who was going to gain power after Alexander the Great. And so the Ptolemies took power there in Egypt and they established themselves there. And they actually brought peace to Israel over the course of a hundred years. And Israel became very industrious. They, they became profitable. They learned how to um, um, do, do things differently than they have in the past. They had great commercial markets and they were really setting themselves up well until Antiochus Epiphanes. And when Antiochus Epiphanes came to power, then the Greeks and the Romans were starting to have their skirmishes and Israel was right in the middle of it all. Half of Israel was for Rome, half of Israel was for the Greeks. This is all going on during the 400-year period. And as they got to this point where there were these battles going on, where people were taking sides, uh, the, the poor people had to flee. They had to get out of there because they were just getting caught up in all of this. So many of these poor, they went to Syria and, and they went anywhere they could to places where they could dwell in peace. But it really um, upturned uh, the whole tradition of what they were doing back then. It, it, it upturned um, the traditional Jewish ceremonies and what was going on in the temple. Antiochus Epiphanes came down really hard, and he wanted tribute and so on and so forth, and there wasn't enough, and so they started selling off the stuff that was in the temple. The next thing you know, they appointed a high priest that wasn't even part of the priesthood. The Jews did this, and they knew it was wrong, but they didn't care because it would satisfy you know, the, their their long-term plan. And so Antiochus Epiphanes came in and he slaughtered a pig in the temple. He erected a statue of Jupiter within the temple. He claimed himself to be Jupiter. And so it really caused a lot of havoc then and the people were really losing heart. Where was God? Why wasn't he defending them? But the most they could do is either run away or, as the Maccabees did, they put up a fight. And the Maccabees came, they grouped together, they formed a militia, and they started fighting and started battling against the armies. And the armies were, were, it wasn't like the traditional war that they had back then, where you just bring two armies and you battle each other in the field and whoever walked off the field was the winner. That wasn't what was going on. They were, these, they were doing these little skirmishes and they were coming in and attacking and, bat and winning battles here and there. And then they finally went back in the temple. They took the altar out of the temple completely and separated it and hid it because it was polluted because of the desecration of the temple. They brought it and they hid the stones and they brought in other stones. 
But there was no priest at that time that could go in and sanctify the temple. They couldn't cleanse the stones because of the sacrifice that was done there. So they brought in new stones. They started prepping for the sanctification of the temple. And they were able to do that. They were taking a stand. They were taking a position. But this was all just traditionalism. See, although it seemed like they were doing what God wanted them to do and they were being obedient to God, they also established a non-Levitical person to be in charge of the priesthood and to work with Rome, um, to be in a relationship with Rome. They started making their religious system a political system. And so they lost... Um, really the idea of what God wanted to do. So once again, things were going in the wrong direction. Can you imagine now, 300-something years had passed by at this point, and the people hadn't heard from God. What were they going to do? What was their next move? They were thinking, oh yeah, we have the law we have all of the old information the prophets gave us, but uh, they don't know what it's like to live now in these days with, with these times with the Greeks and the Romans and all this stuff going on. They, they don't know what it's like right now. Isn't that what we hear today? Isn't that the same thing that we're experiencing even within the church? Times are different. So now we have to change what the Bible says to fit the times. Well, God didn't really mean that. You know, he, and, and he was really talking to the people in those days. He wasn't talking about, you know, what's going on now. If God knew what was going to be going on now, he would have done it completely different, Right? God knows the beginning from the end. The reason we don't need prophets of the Old Testament is because we know the end of the story. Revelation is the end of the story. We know what's going to take place in the future. So we don't need a prophet to tell us what's going to take place in the future. We just need to read the Word of God. And then we know what's going to take place in the future. So, well, Paul says there are some that have the gifts of prophecy, and there, there are some that were prophets, and some that were teachers, and some that were, you know, have the gift of tongues, and, and all of this. Well, you know, is Paul wrong? No, he's not, <clears throat> and I'll tell you why. Whenever you hear me teaching from the Word of God, like I'm going to be reading here in a minute, you know that you're hearing prophecy. What you're hearing right now is teaching. But what you're going to hear is prophecy. It's going to be the prophetic word of God declared from his word. And so as I read the scriptures, you're hearing the word of God declared. That's prophecy. And so we have prophecy Everyone that 
reads the word of God, that shared, that speaks the word of God, is speaking prophecy. And it can also be teaching. The part where I'm elaborating is part of the teaching. It's part of understanding, expounding on the scriptures. And generally, that's what we do. We don't teach topically. We teach expositionally, verse by verse, through the Bible. So we have the whole word of God taught to us. And so we're not skipping over areas that are a little uncomfortable. But we go through the full word of God. And then as we're looking at each verse expositionally, then we look in and we get the deeper meaning. And I could teach the same scripture 10 times and not say the same thing. Because scripture is more than just one understanding of this is what God, because today God speaks to my heart differently through the same scripture that I read yesterday. And I know that is true for many of you who do uh, yeah, I've read through the Bible three times, and this time I'm reading through it, and I got something completely different today. How did it say something different today? It didn't contradict what it said before. I just have a deeper understanding of it today. It's kind of like you know, hearing people talk about being in a car accident and everything and, and the, the tragedy and the trauma that they felt through it, and then you being in a car accident and saying, oh, now I get it. Now it's real. See, because of our life experiences, we learn and we can apply the Word of God differently as we learn in our own life experiences. We can hear what other people have to say, but until we experience it ourselves... You know, we just can't relate to it. And then, and then it happens, and we can relate. And then we can say, oh, I see God moving differently than I saw before. I've never had this disease before, and now I have it. And now I see God through a different vision, through different eyes. And I clearly understand what he was saying back then. I missed it before, but now I can see it clearly. So the Jews were probably confused by everything that was going on in the world back then, these warring Gentile nations. And by the time 400 years had passed, there was little hope for the coming of the Messiah. They just couldn't imagine that the Messiah was going to be showing up on the scene. And that's probably why so many rejected Jesus when he did arrive and began his ministry. Because they just didn't see that that's how it was going to be. They didn't perceive it that way. Oh, it doesn't, that, that isn't the Messiah that, I, you know, that I'm expecting. The same thing is happening today. Many people, many churches even, aren't expecting Jesus to return the way the Word of God says he's going to return. And so when he does many of those people are going to say, that isn't Jesus, that isn't what I believe, and they're going to turn away. And then others are going to say, I misunderstood, and now I know that I was confused, I was wrong, and now I see that I missed what Jesus is doing. So now I'm going to get my life right. It's going to be rough but they will do that. 
But what they were experiencing back then, during that 400-year gap, we're, we're seeing it here. We're seeing it very much today. And we can now consider what was written by Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3. We can see what he wrote, and we can compare it to now and to then, and it would pretty much fit in both scenarios. Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Peter was speaking to the church. He was speaking to believers in Jesus Christ who may have been having doubts about the return of Christ. What? It's only been a few decades and they were having doubts then? It was 400 years from the time of Malachi to the time of John the Baptist. But here, just a few decades after Jesus had been resurrected from the dead, Peter is saying, what's up with you guys? Why are you so quick to see that this is, you know, the way things are, that we're going to just throw away all of what the prophets had to say, all of what Jesus had to say, all of what the apostles had to say. We're going to throw it all out because it just doesn't appear that Jesus is coming in our timeline. We are now 2,000 years later. It hasn't changed. But the difference is after 2,000 years, we are gathered here together to hear from God. You're not here to hear from me. You're here to hear from God. I hope you're not here to hear from me because I don't have any new material. I, I, I have all my material is here and it's not new. It's old material. It's 2,000 years old. But it's the truth. So would we rather have our ears tickled and here's something that may be pleasing and encouraging that may make us go out from here saying, wow, I'm a good person. Everything's great. I'm happy. And then be deceived. Then to hear the truth, to have it cut to the heart, and to make a change in our own lives. To make us realize that our plans, our ideas are probably not completely in line with God's plans and God's ideas. I know because I have to measure every day what I'm thinking, what I'm doing, my walk with the Lord. I have to measure it every day. I have to say, Lord, am I doing what is in line with what... You know, you know where this really comes to reality? On the freeway. Man, it comes, it just smacks me upside the head. Hey, do you remember about being 
kind and loving and patient. Well, the freeway isn't the place for that. Lord, once I enter that on-ramp, you know, it's like I'm out of the temple now. I'm out there in the world. You know, you, you can't be speaking to me out here. You know, and, and, and then I hear that voice in my head, maybe you should take the bumper sticker off your car. <laughs> it sounds just like Cheryl. And, but that's because we're still in the flesh. We're still here, you know, and God still is moving in our hearts, and he convicts us uh, when we're doing that. But these people are losing the conviction because their hearts are growing cold and hard to the things of God. And because they are, they look and say, everything's going the way it always has. Nothing has changed. Well, obviously, they're not reading the Bible, and obviously, they don't have a good grasp of what even Peter was writing about here. He's giving warnings. He says, hey, look, the prophets taught, taught about it. The, the apostles have taught about it. And it's obvious that they were scoffing because they lost their faith in God. So they were excited that Jesus was going to return. But a few decades later, that's all over now. And now they're mocking. Where is he coming from? When's he going to come? Uh, they were no longer concerned about the return of Christ. They no longer cared. They were in. They, they were doing what they, uh, look, I'm a Jew. I'm going to get, you know, I'm, I'm going to heaven because I'm a Jew. So that's, that's all I need to do. How many Christians act like that today? How many Christians live in the world saying, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a good, I'm better than my neighbor, that heathen. And, and and, and the church he goes to, they're all heathens. You know, it's just, you know, and, and people measure themselves based on their neighbor. The only measurement that we should be measuring, the only person we should measure ourselves against is Jesus. And then we can say, wow, how do we compare to Jesus? Whoops. You know, were just woefully inadequate compared to who Jesus is and what he has done. They saw everything continuing the way it had since the beginning of creation, and I guess they forgot that little event, that, that the, the water park uh, event, where um, the world was flooded. And Peter mentions that in verse 5 where he says, for this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that existed perished being flooded with water but the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Notice that they willfully forgot that they willfully forgot the actual history of their... I see a lot of that going on today. People willfully forget the things that took place a decade ago, two decades ago, 50 years ago. They willfully forget 
these things, and they're replacing history with their interpretation, their version of what took place in the past. And the next generation is going to be raised up thinking that that's the truth. They're not going to know the truth because it's been altered from the actual truth, from history. They're not even going to hear about a flood. A flood? Yeah, I remember in 1977, the river was flowing and it flooded and it washed out all the bridges. Anyone that lived here in 1977 knows what I'm talking about. They let out 200,000 cubic feet per second. It flooded and, and people were saying, oh, this is you know, cataclysmic and, and so on and so forth. And, and they were really, it washed out every bridge that crossed the Salt River. It washed away part of the runway at, at Sky Harbor. You know, and that's why they made so many changes. That's why they um, diverted things and, and they built bigger bridges and so on and so forth because of learning from the past. Well, th there's no way to build something bigger that's going to stop a flood, but the fact is that um, Judgment Day isn't going to be based on a flood. God promised that he would never flood the earth again but next time it's reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. Just as the prophets predicted in the Old Testament. You see, we read through Zechariah, we read through Malachi, and those prophets said the same thing. The Old Testament prophets told about what was going to take place in the future, and it wasn't going to be pretty. They were preparing the Jews, get your life right because of what was going to be to come. And, and it's like, well, they're not going to be around in 2,000 years, so why worry about it? Why should they have been worried about it back then? Because are any of them still around today? We have some old folks in our church, but not that old. Okay, 2,400 years? No, and ain't happening. They're dead. So they are going to suffer the consequences of the choices that they made in life 2,400 years ago. When the day of judgment comes, there will be some that will not have an excuse. Although they were given the information, although they were told what they needed to know, they're not going to have an excuse. And they're going to have to face judgment at that time. The prophets told the Jews the same thing that the apostles told them in the New Testament, that the Lord is coming. Now, Jesus had already been, and he was resurrected, but he's going to return. And so here, 2,000 years ago, we see the gospel writers telling of the return of Christ, and that he was going to come back Jesus said, when that time comes, it will be like in the days of Lot and Noah on the earth. Well, that's what we're seeing today. We're seeing a majority of the people on the earth living for themselves, living comfortably. This is what happens when people lose sight of the Messiah coming. Those people back then, at the time of Christ's birth lost sight that the Messiah was coming. They didn't see it anymore. They weren't caring anymore. 
And so it wasn't important to them. And today we're seeing the very same thing in our world. It's more important to be happy with yourself. You first have to learn to love yourself before you can learn to love others. No, that doesn't work. I've been loving myself since I was one. <laughs> probably before. And that didn't teach me how to love anyone else. What taught me how to love someone else is when I heard the voice of Jesus. Amen. And he revealed to me the, the depth, the darkness of my heart. And that's when I realized, hey, it's not about me. Now, believe me, most of the time I still feel like it's about me. Okay? Because I'm human, just like you. But I realized that everyone feels that way. And, you know, I want to make it about someone else. So now my joy comes from blessing others. My joy comes from actually loving and giving and doing. And, and now I can see, wow, that, that brings me joy. That doesn't mean I, I don't like gifts. I mean, you know what? Well, I get a gift card and I go have a nice big prime rib or, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm stoked, you know? That's good times, you know? So I can receive gifts too, but I like to give them because, you know, giving really is a blessing. It really is what touches um, my heart. So we go back to the end of the 400 years and Messiah is about to receive, reveal himself to the world. First came John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says, he's coming. Get ready, he's coming. The one whose sandal I'm not even worthy to latch. He's coming. Now, this is what Malachi talked about, the Elijah-like prophet that's going to come. And, and John the Baptist wore the same clothes that Eli. They had the same tailor. And, and he wore the same things, that sackcloth with a sash that tied around. He ate grasshoppers and honey. Yum. And, and he just lived a very simple life out there in the wilderness, pointing people to Christ who's going to come. He was warning them and getting them prepared, and then Jesus arrives on the scene. He's going to choose 12 men that he's going to pour into. He's going to teach them all about the love of God, not by reading books to them. He's going to teach them by setting the example, because he is God, but he's going to teach them what they were missing how God loves them, how much God loves them, all the way to the cross. He's going to teach them. They're going to get a lesson in not only the love of God, but the, the, the compassion of God, the character of God, the one that will never let them down. And they're going to see it. And they felt let down. Believe me, when Jesus went to the cross, they felt let down. They felt like this can't even be possible. But he had been telling them the whole time. How often do we read our Bibles and hear what the Lord wants to speak to us in our hearts, but we don't believe it? And we go out there in the world and we think, 
it can't be true. It, it's true maybe for someone else, but it's not true for me because I wouldn't be going through this if God loved me that way. And, and we suffer with that as individuals. We suffer with the fact that we have trials in life. And if God is a God of love, why are these things happening? But they didn't realize in three days he was going to rise again from the dead. He was going to show them who he was, that he had power over life and death, that he had power over all of the trouble and trials that were going to come into their lives. He was going to be able to rectify all of them. He chose these 12. And Matthew was one of those. And before he was known as Matthew in Israel, he was known as Levi. His name was Levi. He was a tax collector. But once he met Jesus, his life changed. His name changed. He became Matthew, meaning a gift of God. He became a gift of God. That was his name. And he gave us a gift, this gospel that we're going to be reading over the next couple of months. Tax collectors were not an occupation that was well-liked uh, in the Jewish community. Tax collectors were assigned to a region by Rome, go and collect taxes here in this region. So, uh, like, it was Fountain Hills, and they said, okay, Rome would say, there's 20,000 people there. We need you to collect $2 million from that region every year. So we want $2 million in taxes collected. You know, and so that's what the tax collector had to provide, that $2 million over the course of the year. And it's 20,000 people, that's $100 a person. Okay, that, that's easy enough to do. We can make that work. And, and he was responsible to collect. But how did he get paid? Well, he got paid by collecting anything above and beyond the $100 a person that he's supposed to collect to get to the $2 million. So he may make it uh, $150 a person. Guess what? He just became a millionaire. Because now he's collecting the two million plus the million for himself, and he gets to keep that. And so all he has to do is take in that amount of money. And no matter whatever that amount of money was over the two million was his to keep. That was his salary. Well, if people are only earning, uh, the, the living wage back then was, you know, 5000 and they had to pay $100. Well, that doesn't seem so bad, you know, but these tax collectors were taking a lot more than what they needed to be taking, and they were very wealthy, and the poor remained poor. And by becoming a follower of Jesus, Matthew was changing the conversation. He was now no longer a tax collector. He's a follower of the living God. And it was hard for people to accept that right away, of course, because he went from being this mean person who took money from everyone to being someone who loved people. 
And um, he wanted his friends also to learn about this person that came into his life, that changed his life. The first act of Matthew was to have Jesus in his house. Jesus said, I'm going to come eat with you. And, and, and so here he is there at the house. Matthew invites him. And they go to the house, and he invites all of his friends. His friends were other tax collectors. There were probably lawyers in the, in the crowd. There were prostitutes in the crowd that came to his house and they're all eating together and there's Jesus with them. Who was Jesus not sitting with? The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees. He wasn't sitting with the religious elite. Jesus was the most elite of all of the religious traditional system but he chose to go to the very people he came to save. You see, the religious elite wouldn't accept him anyway as their leader. Now, some of them did, and they ended up going and following from afar, and they became into relationships with Jesus separately, like a Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night. And there were others that came to Jesus and followed Jesus. Uh, they weren't touting their credentials. They weren't saying, well, I'm the priest of such and such. And they weren't doing that. They were just following Jesus because they knew who he was. They knew he was the teacher from God. And they were believing in him and following him. So... Here were these tax collectors. They're all there having dinner together. And Jesus wasn't even concerned that the Pharisees were watching from the outside. And they're looking and saying, ah, he's eating with a bunch of sinners. Look at him. Do you ever feel that way? When, when you see a Christian, a believer, uh, you know, uh, sitting with others and, and talking with, the, oh man, how can he even talk to that guy? I know that guy. How can he talk to that guy? How can that guy get saved unless a Christian talks to them? How will the world know unless we tell them? And sometimes we're so concerned about the people that we dine with. Now, I'm not saying let the world in and dine at your, your house every day. I believe that we as Christians need to be gathering together, especially as the day draws near. We need to be gathering together, encouraging one another, praying for one another, strengthening one another. And that's how we build ourselves up getting ready to go out into the world and minister to the world. And you don't have to make a plan, okay, I'm going to go out, I'm going to go do this. No, all you have to do is go to Safeway or bashes, or wherever you shop. That's the only place you have to go, and you're going to find them. You know who I'm talking about. Those people that race and cut you off as you're going to the, to the line, and they cut in in front of you with a full basket, and you have two things in your hand. Oh, what is wrong with them? Don't they realize that I've only got two things, and they've got... oh. Life must be so rough for them because they're, they're so impatient. Instead, look at this as a perfect opportunity 
to share the love of God. And you've got a captive audience there. They've got to wait for that whole basket to be rung up. You go ahead and chat with them. And you can share with them the love of God. Two things can possibly happen. One, they may listen to you. Or two, they may say, oh, you can go in front of me. <laughs> Either way, it's a win. <laughs> I recommend that highly. Interestingly enough, in the Gospel of Matthew, there are no quotes from Matthew. Matthew doesn't quote himself in the Gospel of Matthew. Interestingly enough, he's not quoted in Mark, Luke, or John either. Matthew didn't make it about himself. He made it about Jesus. He didn't want to share what he thought. He wanted to share about Jesus. When you look at the Sermon on the Mount, it's just read. Chapter after chapter of Jesus speaking. Matthew was not a chronological account of Jesus' actions. They're, they're, it's broken out into segments of topics of what Matthew wanted to address and how he wanted to present Jesus. And so it's not a chronological flow as the other Gospels are in, in a way, but Matthew itself was more grouped teachings of Jesus so that they, they apply in a certain way for us to understand the, the topic that he was covering there. Matthew was interested in hearing what Jesus had to say, and he also wanted his friends to hear what Jesus had to say. He also wanted the world to hear what Jesus had to say. He also wanted us to hear what Jesus had to say. Any other gospel paired after Malachi would not have fit. The flow wouldn't have worked going from Malachi to John or Malachi to Mark. It wouldn't have worked. Matthew was the perfect gospel to come right after Malachi. Matthew was writing mainly to Jews. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't a lot of information in there written to Gentiles. We have a lot of accounts of Jesus speaking to Gentiles, performing miracles with Gentiles. So we know even at the birth of Christ, there were Gentiles that came to worship the Christ. And, and so we know that it does speak to us, but it was mainly written to Jews. Those Jews that were Old Testament Jews that didn't believe in or trust in what God was going to do through the Messiah in the New Testament. They didn't know there was going to be a New Testament. You see, they were waiting for the Messiah to come. The Messiah was going to come, establish his kingdom, wipe out all the enemies, and then it was going to be just a great time. We're going to feast and we're going to dine and we're going to have a great time. People are living their lives that way today. They're waiting for Jesus. You know, many churches do not believe in the rapture. The, the Bible clearly teaches there's going to be a rapture. And many people don't believe that. There are many churches that teach that the next event that takes place in biblical history, the biblical timeline, is going to be the return of God to the earth, the return of Jesus to the earth, and we're going to enter into the heavenly realm, and that's it. That's what's going to take judgment day. And then, well, 
when we read the Bible here, I'm not reading a different Bible. I'm taking it literally for what God said the, was going to happen. And so I believe God. I take it literally. And he says there's going to be a thousand-year period. But before that thousand-year period, there's going to be a seven-year period. Before that seven-year period, there's going to be the return of Christ in the clouds to gather his church to him. And many churches, a majority of the churches don't teach that and don't believe that. And so, man, are they going to be caught off guard. Now, I'm not saying that they're not going to be caught up in the rapture. I believe that many of the people that go to those churches will be caught up in the rapture. They're just not going to know what's going on. What's, what's this? It's the rapture. We've been telling you. Oh, I didn't believe in the rapture. Well, just because you don't believe doesn't mean you're going to stay. You know, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you love Jesus Christ, you're going to get caught up in the rapture. You, 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 you get a ticket regardless, and, and you get to go. But many of the people are not going because they've been living legalistic and ritualistic lives, and they're not they're going to miss out on the rapture. But I believe that this is the opportunity for them, once they see the rapture, they're going to say, oh, that's what they were talking about. Those crazy Christians, that's what they meant. Those fundamentalists, they believed the Bible was a literal word of God. They were right. Good news, it's coming. So Matthew is writing his gospel to the Jews, but it also is going to speak to the Gentiles. You read Matthew chapter 24, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's all about what's going to happen in the future, the return of Christ. He, he's the only one in all four gospels that uses the term church. He's the only one. Isn't that interesting? Church is a gathering, an assembling of people together. And, and see, he wasn't talking about the Jewish church. He was talking about the church, the believers in Jesus Christ, those who were followers of Jesus Christ that gathered together. That's who the church is. That's who we are. And the church isn't Calvary Chapel, Fountain Hills. The church is the universal church. All believers in Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ, are the church, the universal church. You've, you've heard the term Catholic church. Catholic just means universal. That's what the word Catholic means. And, and so the Catholic church is the universal church? I don't think so. Okay, but they like to claim that. It sounds really good. Next week we're changing our name. It's going to be universal church. No, we're not. We're, we're just, Calvary Chapel's just the name of the building that we gather together in. And here we are together, gathered to wait for the next event that's going on. But we're not just sitting here waiting. We're not just sitting here running up our credit cards like the Thessalonians were. We're actually supposed to be doing something. We're supposed to be reaching the world around us. In a couple of weeks, we're going to study the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to see the Gentiles that come to worship Jesus as an infant. We're, we're going to hear from God as he speaks to his people in human form. Matthew is going to record the Olivet Discourse. That's presented to the whole world, not just to the Jews. It's presented to all of us. 
And we're going to hear all of that. I'm looking forward to the study in Matthew. We're going to watch his transformation from tax collector to apostle. And then we're going to see how does that apply to us. You all have a testimony the same as Matthew did. You all have a testimony. And there has been a transition from the time that you became a believer until the time that he's going to come again. And that is your testimony that you can share with others so the world may hear about Jesus. Amen?